Welcome, Modern World listeners. I'm Captain Jake Moraldi. Today on the podcast, we're talking to several writers, both of fiction and nonfiction, to discuss military writing, the impact writing has on creative thought, and how to get started in writing yourself. Our guests today are August Cole, the author of Ghost Fleet, Phil Kalai, the author of Redeployment, Matthew Gallagher, the author of Youngbloods, and Major Nate Finney, the founder of the Strategy Bridge. As always, the opinions expressed in this podcast are those of their respective participants and do not constitute the position of the United States government. So, gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to come out and, and talk to me today. We have four folks, which is the most that I've ever done a podcast with at once. It's a cool new experience. Um, what I want to lead off with, and, and each of you can kind of answer this in turn, is talking about writing and storytelling, especially from a military perspective. How did you start, and what has it sort of done for you personally, your, your writing? I'll lead off. That's August Cole, author of Ghost Fleet. You know, as the civilian in the room, my my background was in daily journalism, and so writing was a big part of what I did professionally, and shifting from a very fact-based approach to fiction was really liberating because it actually let me really think about the, the aspects of what it interested me in writing about um, technology, writing about defense. On I got to do it more on my own terms. Um, being a journalist was a great, great phase of my life, uh, but I find that, you know, with a, a fiction approach, being able to really spend more time almost like sitting on the other side of the table and trying to develop even further empathy for characters you're trying to, to better understand is, is, is a really, really, I think, interesting part of, part of this, this journey, I guess, that, that I'd say I'm on. I'm very interested in the future of conflict right now, and I expect that's going to last a long time. You know, I'm constantly struggling to get things right. As someone who's you know in a in a world that is always going to be unfamiliar because I I've never served in the military, um, so the dedication that you have to have as a you know major newspaper journalist to not making mistakes, to tracking down facts, to talking to people to to get things correct, you know, I, I bring that over to the fictional realm, and I think that's probably been helpful uh, because I take it seriously, you know that that piece of it, and you know I think the the challenge for me and, and for a lot of people that are you know on that unfamiliar territory is always keeping the story in mind and the characters in mind, not getting lost in the details. For for our military folk in the room, is it is it any different for you or is it the same kind of rationale and, and purpose behind writing? Oh, I mean, I certainly think I have that same, um, you know, I definitely need to get everything right uh, in the Marine Corps, but I, I don't write about anybody who did what I did. This is Phil Cly, author of Redeployment. I go about, when I write something, probably the same way you go about you know, doing journalism, I interview people, I read books about the subject, I, uh, I do a variety of, of just basic factual research and, and, and try and get any kind of original material from interviews and, and things that I collect. But then the other part of it is also sort of reading literature that might be resonant, uh, whether it's, you know, war literature specifically or, or you know, something like Joseph Conrad, right? Um, you know, for me, Writing is, it's, it's the best way that I know to, uh, to kind of make sense of the world, right? You, you, you take an issue that you care about and you think you might have something to say and you put it into a fictional con- context. And I find that when I do that, the challenge of then making the characters 
and their reactions to things seem real and authentic and complex, and Veeve ends up just sort of obliterating whatever knowledge I thought I had about the subject. And that's the value, is that it, it, it kind of, you're, you're gradually carving away your own ignorance and exposing the blind spot, blind, your blind spots in an area that you, you thought you had mastered previously. And, and that, you know, that process of kind of continually going back is, is, uh, for me just as important as like the basic kind of factual research that I'm doing because I'm afraid that, you know, somebody's going to come up and be like, that was, those were not the MVGs we were wearing, you know, whatever. Sure. Similarly, I, I think I write to figure out more exactly how I think about something. Mm-hmm. Matthew Gallagher, author of Young Bloods. You know, whether, you know, going back to when I was just a, a young lieutenant in Iraq, trying to figure out uh, uh, what that day and what that mission had meant uh, and uh, trying to sort through it or, or more, you know, now as a, uh, as an author, you know, writing about, uh, writing a fictional story about American society 50 years from now after continual warfare, right? I, you know, that, that, that story kind of came out of conversations with young academy cadets and ROTC cadets who have grown up in a, in a different America than, than I did. And, uh, that interested me and, and it bothered me and I, I wanted to figure out more exactly why. And, and, uh, that was the seed of that story and then uh, everything came from that, came from that seed. Uh, something else that I think is an, an important process, uh, similar to what Phil and August just mentioned is, is uh, constantly reading and, and constantly questioning yourself, uh, you know, reading to, reading uh, material and, and stories that push against uh, my preconceived notions or, or my worldview. Uh, because sometimes uh, my ignorance will be exposed or, or even when I, when I feel like my position is validated, it again, it forces me to figure out exactly why and uh, forces me to look at, at, at the, the material I'm, I'm confronting and, and, and find the holes in it and uh, find the holes in that argument and then uh, uh, construct maybe a, a, a counter argument or, or a response that is uh, hopefully a little bit fuller. Uh, at least that's, that's the pursuit. And one, you know, it's just one small contribution to the, to the ever evolving literary annals. And, you know, we're uh, some famous dead writer. I, uh, I can't remember who said, you know, all, all, all books are built on what came before. And, and uh, you know, I think we're all just small, small pieces of that tradition. Phil and Matt bring up a really great uh, point about writing for discovery or writing for understanding. And I've only recently come to the, the kind of fiction creative realm, uh, though I'm sure like everybody else as a kid, uh, I like to make up stories as well. This is Major Nate Finney, founder of the Strategy Bridge. Um, and try and understand the world around me through fiction. Um, but once I got into the military, all my writing kind of went to the professional writing, trying to figure out as an armor officer, armor tactics, sure. or as a field grade officer trying to figure out, you know, signal relations or whatever it is. Um, but even in those realms, for me, writing was always a way to try and understand the topic I did not uh, really understand very well. So every time that I wrote something, every time I, I published something, it was always started at trying to understand something in particular that I, I did not know, to do that research, to dive into it, to try and understand, understand a little bit better. And for me, now that I'm starting to, uh, in large part, uh, thanks to August and a couple of other folks who have been kind of pushing creative writing back into the military, uh, I started to dive into fiction myself. And uh, for me, it's very interesting because you're looking at or, or trying to discover a different aspect 
as opposed to something very professional and technical um, and trying to understand it so that you can communicate that to an audience that is not military, so using the acronyms, things like that. It's trying to understand more of the, the emotional aspects, which is something military officers suck at completely. When they write, they're focused very much on the technical aspect, either of the writing itself or the topic, and really kind of delving into the emotions is something that, that in my opinion, most military officers and after that, and I'm horrible at. So it's really interesting to try. Supposed to look at the intellectual aspects, try and discover through fiction those those more emotional aspects. So I think it's interesting to. I feel like across the the group here, we sort of highlighted two big buckets about what you guys are writing for, and and in some cases, it's reflective in nature, sort of sort of backwards looking and trying to understand and clarify experience you had, whether it was a deployment experience or a journalistic experience. And the other bucket seems to be the, the bucket that Major Finney just sort of talked about, which was writing for understanding and writing to project sort of forward into the future. Is is bucketing those sort of a false dichotomy? Do you see the reflection as also helping you write for understanding, or, or are they a little bit more separate? I mean, I think this is August here. I think there's a lot of overlap in those activities that there are certain things we can understand better of all the tools we have, you know, for example, to think about a new technology or how, you know, people will change, you know, in the next five to 10 years because of augmented reality. Now, the way to write about that, you know, is not necessarily another PowerPoint or another white paper, but really trying to actually put yourself in the shoes of people who are going to be, you know, waking up one day and, and the daily routine of their life, like actually kind of thinking about the five senses. I was, um, involved in a, a path game, which is kind of like a war game for strategies, uh, you know, about six months ago. And I was really struck by how a lot of the more traditional practitioners approached the problem, which was kind of building things from the bottom up about where we want to go, you know, in a, in a region of the future. And I thought, well, let's like do it the other way. Let's actually put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who's waking up and they walk down to the street and what do they smell? Are their tires burning or, or is there sewage in the gutter or is the air clean and there's kids running around and playing? Are they afraid? So like I, I, this is the way my brain works, and, and that's been a really helpful way to, to kind of go about and uh, approaching some of these things. And I, I think they're all complementary, you know, to Nate's point. They all they, they have different uh, roles. I think they all can play, but but being useful, I think for sure, uh, it can all be quite useful. Something I found vital is um, remember that writing is artifice, right? And, and it's kind of what David Foster Wallace would would try to remind his his young students. Uh, writing students that this is about communication. It's not about expression. Uh, and that's something that really kind of can only uh, reveal itself through rewriting over and over again. And, uh, you know, first time, uh, just getting, getting those messy thoughts out of your head and onto, onto the, uh, onto the paper or the computer screen. Uh, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. But, uh, unlike maybe the, uh, the term papers in college that, that we all stayed up and finished at, at four in the morning, uh, the process begins anew. Uh, uh, in the rewriting process and, and, and forming it to not just uh, to the point so it doesn't just make sense for yourself because uh, that's the, that's not the point that, that what you're actually attempting to convey uh, is is being revealed to the re- uh, is being revealed to the reader and uh, you know one of the most rewarding uh, aspects of that of that journey is is finding coming across readers who get uh, get something else entirely than maybe what you intentioned uh, from a passage uh, or or, or, or from a piece of dialogue, uh, but it's still very mean, you know, it's still very meaningful to them, uh, and, uh, uh impacted them, uh, in a, in a way that, that, that brought you, that brought them to, to converse with you about it. 
And, uh, you know, that, that, that's something that sometimes, uh, writers who spend too much time by ourselves, uh, too much time by ourselves can, can forget, uh, that this is an interactive process. And, uh, you know, once, once it's done and in the reader's hands, uh, you no longer uh, have control over it, uh, inshallah. So I think the fact that, that everybody in here writes primarily fiction, maybe not major fiction, but a little bit more now, uh, is is really important to note. Um, Max Brooks has been here a couple times and talked to me, and the very first time that we talked, we talked about fiction as expanding your ability to think creatively. Um, and I'm curious what, what all your thoughts as fiction writers is about that. What are the benefits for a military officer, say, in writing fiction? What do we gain by doing that? You know, I think there's two really important things. You know, one uh, is, is empathy. Uh, you know, by really trying to inhabit a character, you can really get outside of your own self. And, and the second, and this is something, you know, Ghost Fleet we, we did, uh, which was to really check blind spots and, and test out ideas that, uh, people may be holding dearly, but could be really, really wrong or bad. And, and I think using fiction to, to, as a sort of prototype, uh, for, for some of the ideas and concepts that a cadet might have can be a really effective and engaging way to, to not only Experience that yourself, but also share it because it's a lot easier sometimes to share something that's in that narrative format than, than, than a, you know, again, a PowerPoint slide or, or something else that officialdom might want you to produce. And it's it's reading fiction, writing fiction is the act of putting yourself into the people's skulls, right? Learning to look at the world from different perspectives and and um, uh, and be able to think uh, in that way. You know, we have a friend Elliot Ackerman is talking about. Uh, this book that he, he wrote uh, about the Syria conflict recently just came out, uh, Darkness uh, at the Crossing, which is fantastic. And he said, you know, you remember hearing about the, the military putting to get together this task force to try and understand, like, why would you know, people from the West be joining ISIS? And, you know, he don't, you know, couldn't understand it. And he thought to himself, like, what do you mean you can't understand how our organization could entice teenagers to join up and fight in conflicts far away. Like, you're the best at this in the world. Like, it's not that hard. You get fixated on the superficial differences, whereas, you know, what what fiction does is dive deep into um, the much more understandable and intelligible human choices, right? And I think that being able to get to that, that, that kind of core root of human behavior is really important for being able to handle the, the, the wide variety of things that humans do, both inside a, a military organization and outside of it, just for better understanding people and societies we're, we're a part of. Um, it's just a generally good skill for life. I think. Yeah, I mean, the emotional truths that, that good fiction can offer, I, I think, uh, are very difficult to replicate elsewhere. And also, uh, you know, in, uh, this is something that August's August book is, is very good at, because everything is possible in fiction. So much of the world building has to occur between the reader and the writer, right? That's different than nonfiction. With nonfiction, as a reader, I, I already know the limits of, of, of that world. It's the same one I, I operate in every day. Uh, in fiction, the writer has to build, build all that out, has to flesh that all, all that out. And, and, and in a way, they, you have to anticipate, uh, uh, rather than react, which is something that I think any any, any military officer uh, could benefit from, right? Rather than uh, maybe trying to st- uh, overly study and critique what has happened in the past, it can be very helpful to think about uh, what what's coming in the future and, and uh, what that could potentially look like, whether it's 
weeks, years, decades, decades down the road. And, uh, you know, kind of configuring the, the brain, configuring those writing muscles uh, in the mind to, uh, to anticipate uh, anything that is possible rather than what is possible right now uh, would be helpful for anybody, uh, whatever their job or, or whatever their, uh, their writing, uh, writing levels are. I think Phil made a great point about uh, fiction as a way to understand kind of the enduring human condition. I think that's particularly important for, for military officers and cadets. Um, what, what August does, and a lot of folks do, is projecting to the future and think, thinking about the possibilities and probabilities in the future are extremely useful. But so is just diving in to what it is like to be a human at war, in conflict, coming back from conflict, and how that actually is pretty stable over time. I mean, there are things across time for humans having to deal with war and coming back from war that I think are particularly useful to military officers, and then those are going to be military officers to just kind of dive into that in order to anticipate for yourself what that's going to be like. So I think I think those are all all really good points. I want to touch on one uh, specifically the the empathy piece, and this is because I teach sophomores tactics um, as part of my job here. And today in class, about an hour ago, they were briefing enemy analysis for an operation that they were going to do. And I had the question come up, well, if they don't have this capability, they don't have night vision goggles, why do, why do I care? What does that mean to me? And I said, well, what does that, what does that mean for the enemy? And they said, well, it means they can't see. Okay, great. It means they can't see. Is that it? And I said, well, yeah, right. That's, that's it. And I said, well, let's think if you are the enemy now, you know, the person you are facing has night vision goggles and can walk in the dark. Are you, in your defense, knowing that you don't have night vision goggles, just going to lay there and let them walk up to you? And the ability, or the the emerging ability for them to be in someone else's shoes and have that empathetic understanding of, well, no, if it was me, I would do X, Y, and Z. I would set out trip flares, or I would send out patrols, or I would put an OP out. And then to say to them, well, that's what you would do. Why wouldn't the enemy do that too? Understanding that lack of capability. I think that's a really important point and something that in, in discussions with, with folks like yourselves has come out a lot, um, as something that we as military officers need to be better at doing at that empathetic level of understanding. So. Or even internally, right? These, most of these ladies and gentlemen are going to be officers with, with men and women, women under them. So they're going to have to be empathetic to what it's like. For the men and their women, what, what happens uh, if uh, one of your your platoon members MPGs go down uh, while you're out on patrol? I mean, what's that going to mean for them, um, and what considerations are you going to have to have for them? So, I mean, it goes internally, not just towards the enemy as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to I want to transition a little bit and talk about being fiction writers now. You're not obviously writing specifically for a military audience, and I'm curious what some of the the challenges are of conveying military ideas to a civilian audience. And, and the word authentic was used earlier in the discussion already, um, and I feel like that would probably be one of your biggest challenges, is trying to stay authentic but then not overburdening a non-military reader or someone that's not imbued with military knowledge to understand what the hell is going on. Um, so if you could speak to that, that would be useful. Well, I... <laughs> I don't... Uh, my 
tendency is just kind of to trust the reader. Uh, I did, I wrote one story where there's at least an acronym in every sentence pretty much in my book. It is the number one source of my one star re- reviews on Amazon. <laughs> so, um, uh, one stars are okay because it means you, that you really upset somebody, which doesn't <laughs> <you> care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the it's the mediocre three stars that hurt that kind of the biggest. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the, the the real thing is to stay true to the character, right? And if you're writing deeply in you know that character's through, through that character's worldview, um, people will follow you even if they're not familiar with everything about the world that you're talking about. You know, like Tolstoy didn't write like, oh my God, like readers in the 21st century are not going to understand Russia right now. I need to really explain. He just wrote human, believable characters and we follow it because we follow the the, the kind of emotional core, you know, uh, of what he's writing about. Uh, this uh, Francois Mauriac, the, the uh, French novelist, uh, in his Nobel Prize speech, we always believe so much in our own uniqueness, uh, and we forget that the characters we read as a, as a child who seem to describe our lives to us were from, were from cultures so radically different than ours. And so I think I, I write the way I think the character would talk, and if that character is going to talk in a way that would be really alienating and off-putting to a civilian reader, there's something valuable in that. And, you know, I have civilian readers who I ask them to read a story and just go, is this totally unintelligible? Um, you know, to give me a heads up. But I don't allow that to sort of cut the way that I'm, cut into the way that I'm writing the character because the first thing is, who is it? What is that voice? What's the most kind of true voice that this person would have? And then if you need to like have a slight gloss on something because it becomes important, but there's much less of that stuff than you think. I think there's also a way to think about something that's credible and something that's authentic as being different. And, you know, as a writer, I think you sometimes just have to do the, the, the thing that your ear tells you is the right way to have a character, as Phil was saying, speak. And it may be something that the reader has to, to come to grips with, and, and that is helpful. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the challenge is, you know, how do you make a story accessible? And if someone's emotionally invested, then they'll, they'll most likely stick through that. There's an interesting facet, too, and I don't know if you found this with audiobooks, is that people can relate to a story differently as well, and mm-hmm. especially in the kind of military genre. A lot of the, a lot of the, the, the reader is actually a listener, uh, and, and sometimes something that sounds, or rather reads you know, in a complicated manner on the page, it can come through in a different way if it's read to you. And, and that's something I'm thinking a lot about as, mm-hmm. as I you know, do more of this work. You know, how, how can I really keep that in mind as well? Because it's an important part of the story. Yeah, this is, this is a question that comes up a lot in the, uh, some of the writing workshops I teach, particularly with uh, veterans who've just, just left the military. And, I, and two of the stories that I, I, I use for it are, are Phil's OIF acronym story and then Catherine Ann Porter's uh, Pale Horse, Pale Rider. Because both in their own ways kind of, you know, teach aspiring writers that, uh, uh, again, like the writing is, uh, is, is artifice, right? We're not replicating reality. There's no way to do that already. Uh, any type of writing, right? We're, um, it's, it's already going through a conduit. It's of, of the writer's mind. It's already going through another conduit of the reader's mind as, as, as they're taking, taking that in. So see, simply seeking to transcribe reality or, or replicate it is, uh, is, it's not going to, A, it's not going to work and, and B, it's just not going to end up being very interesting or, or, or very good. So, uh, how do you, uh, you know, you have to have 
as you build out your world, as you build out your characters, as you, as you build out these, these conversations, it has to have its own inherent logic. It has to have its own uh, inherent inter- interconnectality. Uh, uh, those relationships have to have to make sense similarly to the way they do in, in, in the world that we operate in. But but they're not the same thing. So uh, you know, on a very this is a very base example, but uh, hopefully it works, right? IED or roadside bomb. Uh, one is is uh, the military term. The other is re- probably going to be more relatable to more civilian readers. Uh, usually, uh, uh, for me at least as a writer uh, and as a reader, it, it depends on how it serves the story, right? If it's revealing, so- is it is it happening in a piece of dialogue? Uh, you know, right, right after a blast, and, and, and these are military personnel. Yeah, IED makes a lot of sense. Um, is it, you know, is it uh, is somebody? Is it a vet trying to show off at a bar uh, as he's telling a war story? Yeah, he's he's going to use IED. But if if I'm just using IED because that's the way it was, that's not good enough, right? And and I have to really kind of go back and and, and figure out uh, how that how that term is going to uh, best serve best serve the story or or, or best serve the character. Utilizing it, and then and that, that's just that's just a term. But then you can extrapolate that uh, to to the sentence level, to the paragraph level, to the story level, and uh, uh, through rewriting the uh, whatever you're working on is, is going to benefit from that kind of rigorous attention. So to wind up here, we're, we're running a little low on time. I want to ask for cadets or anyone really who is, are interested in writing. How do you go about getting started? How do you get over that first initial sort of daunting hump of how do I create a process to write or how do I come up with an idea of what to write? What is, what's your best advice for how to go about doing that? So let me jump in real quick from a kind of serving officer perspective. Is the main thing is finding the time, right? And, and what I've said in a, in a couple of different forums you have to treat reading and writing like PT. So a military officer will get up every morning and go do PT because that's what's expected. And if they're interested in writing, if they're interested in, in improving their craft, they have to do that, dedicate that time as well. So uh, one thing I, I recommend is when you're doing PT, at least it is for me, your mind is racing. You're actually getting all of your ideas going as you're running, as you're lifting. Um, so crafting a, a 30 minutes an hour after your PT is a great time. To either whether it's just pick up a book so that you're feeding your mind and, and keeping that, your mind going, or it's actually sitting down and typing on the computer or writing uh, is the best time to do it. You just have to kind of dedicate time to it. Ernest Hemingway said a lot of deeply reckless and deeply stupid things, but one thing that is good for aspiring writers is, is remembering that uh, every first draft is is BS. Uh, and uh, uh, I've, I, you know, you've studied these masters that uh, you read these masters and Think, man, how, how did they ever ever come to such deep and, and meaningful uh, revelations of, of, of humanity through a lot of rigorous attention? Uh, and, and you know, you, you can study some of these masters and, and, and look at their first drafts to to include Fitzgerald, to include uh, Salter, to include Borges, uh, and and they weren't that good the first time go around. They, were, I mean, they were pretty good the first time go around, but they weren't that good. And uh, I, you know, I. I uh, as when I was an aspiring writer, that gave me a kind of a lot of freedom to try weird things, to try different things, uh, the freedom to fail, uh, uh, and to get back after it, uh, uh, the next day, like, uh, like Nate, Nate just mentioned, uh, that, that not everything, uh, had to be perfect the first go around. Building onto that point, um, 
finding readers uh, who are also interested in writing it uh, definitely uh, helps. Um, you know, I, I could I could blackmail Matt with uh, his early drafts, but uh, <laughs> but he could blackmail me right back with mine. So um, it's a mutually assured destruction right. pact. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just you know, there's there's uh, just just. There's no pressure on a day of writing, right? Uh, you know, I try and write 500 words by 11 a.m. To get to 500 words, which doesn't sound like a lot, it's a lot, by 11 a.m. means that they will be terrible words. They will be awful words. And then because they're so bad, I'll think about them throughout the rest of the day and then usually try and refine them. Um, and I'll, my, my target is by the end of the week after having written 500 words a day by 11 a.m., then continue to work for the day, have about a 1,000 words at the end of the week that I'm, like, not ashamed of, right? Um, so, yeah, just it, it's putting your butt in the chair, putting the pen in your hand, producing stuff, and then having a kind of um, expectation that you're going to go back, and not just that it's going to be bad, but that, like, you're going to have these flaws and learning to find those flaws interesting um, and to enjoy engaging with them and trying to figure out how you can iron them out. I, I think for people who are time-pressed, you know, to separate the act of thinking about the writing and the writing itself can be helpful. So that, as Nate said, if you've done something in the early morning physical and your blood's flowing, that you could spend 30 minutes and crank out even a couple hundred words, but you've been thinking about it for the preceding day. And, and that'll allow you to, to have that efficiency. And if you, if you can be kind of good to yourself and acknowledge that, like, it's not going to be great every day, and that's actually part of being a writer, is being okay with it sucking. Uh, and sometimes it will physically feel bad to sit down in your chair and write, but you have to do it because it, that one day that it feels great, if you're not sitting down, you'll never have given yourself that chance. And I think that's a really important kind of mantra. Uh, but again, you know, I think separating some of the writing and the thinking will, will help people who are really time-crushed. Well, gentlemen, that's kind of all the time we have to talk. I appreciate you coming down and talking to me and uh, look forward to the panel this afternoon. So thanks for the visit. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to find additional research, op-eds, and other original ideas from the Modern War Institute, please visit the blog at mwi.usma.edu. Or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find new episodes of the Modern War Institute podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For the Modern War Institute, I'm Captain Jake Moraldi. I hope you'll join us next time for more in-depth discussions on war, policy, and leadership.